For August 6th, 2018, it's the Overthinking It podcast, episode 527. You want this, so we will give you this. Welcome to Overthinking It, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it probably doesn't deserve. The overthinkers are like, here's smart, funny friends from the internet. We're never happier than when we're hanging out, talking about the things we love. Everything we love is better when we hang out together. Ooh, that almost rhymed like a, like a song lyric of, a, of an extremely niche uh, song. Um, well, it's summer. And that means two things. One is that we pre-tape episodes of Overthinking It uh, because we travel and we do fun things. Some of the things, uh, many of the fun things that we do this summer, we've actually done together. I'm very happy that I've seen my good friends uh, from Overthinking It a couple times this summer. Who are they, you ask? Well, uh, it's my good friends, Pete Fenzel. Hello, Pete. Hey, Matt. And Mark Lee. Hello, Mark. Hello, Matthew. I mean, on balance, it's more likely that I'll see you guys once or twice or even three or four times over the summer uh, than over uh, any other any other period of the year. Um, I don't know why that is. It's not I mean, we don't have summer break. It's not easier to travel. Uh, I guess people tend to take vacation in the summer because that's when we have this thing called snow on the east coast matt that makes it difficult to travel through the air and get out of airports and so on and so forth well, like, like, I, that. like i often say in a, in a move that endears me to most of our listenership everyone who doesn't live in los angeles is an idiot but the uh the uh oh i'm, I'm matt rather by the way and and uh, if you didn't hate me already i'm sure you do now um the other so so over the summer we we uh we occasionally travel sometimes we spend the weekends together you know like uh having you know having fun old college friend times in a cabin and things like that on weeks like that we pre-tape episodes this is one of those weeks um so uh, I don't know what happened in the popular culture uh, the week previous as you listen to this. And if some incredible thing has happened, if some incredible revelation has been made, if if someone surprise released a, uh, a groundbreaking album and music will never be the same on Friday or something like that, we have no idea. So we're going to talk about something else. The other thing that happens over the summer is it's, uh, it's summer concert season all over the country. All because we're in North America, the whole uh, the the it's lighter later, it's warmer later, it's more pleasant to be outside a lot of the time, and we go, uh, we all go um, as is mandated by law. We all go to see some concerts, and so we're going to spend a little time talking about uh, in honor of, of summer concert season, summer arena touring season, and and so on, uh, talking about trying to overthink the concert experience, especially I think the large concert experience that we can get to some other kinds of live music events as well. And uh, let me just start by asking, um, have you guys been to see any shows recently? Mark, have you been to uh, see any uh, uh, live music events, big or small, recently? I have. Um, I'll start with the big ones. Um, I think a, a couple of years ago, I did mention on this podcast, just on the website, uh, the Guns N' Roses reunion show that I went to, uh, summer of 2016 at MetLife Stadium uh, in New Jersey. Basically, the giant, um, you know, the New York Giants and New York Jets, enormous football stadium, 
Um, so, you know, Axel and Slash and the whole gang, well, some of the whole gang were back together and you know, made eardrums bleed and took us to the jungle where we are going to die, baby, and all that kind of stuff. And more recently, this past summer, I went to see Billy Joel in Madison Square Garden, a very New York experience. I got a lot to say about that. So Guns N' Roses, Billy Joel. Oh, and I also saw <laughs> a very small venue, about 60 people, um, the songwriting and vocal duo behind many of the Animaniac songs. Um, the oh, band or so Billy Joel. God. So that was very different um, and that, delightful. That's so amazing. Hey, uh, Mark, quick follow up on Billy Joel. Uh, would you say that it puts you in any particular state of mind? <laughs> uh, an imperial state of mind? Empire? Sta- no, different, different artist. Oh, that's an okay. empire state of mind. Wow. I'm in a, I'm in a, I'm in a New York state of mind. Like yes, so I was in New York state of what mind. A, what I'm a, always, I'm oh, in a way, Matt. I'm always in a New York state of mind. Uh, it's fair, fair enough. What a, what a bold and path breaking move by Billy Joel to cover uh, Empire State of Mind. Um, at his live show, which is a thing that I'm, I'm sure he's never done. Pete, have you been to any uh, any big old concerts recently? Well, I haven't been to any big concerts this summer. Yeah, last summer I went to see Brad Paisley in concert at the Xfinity Center in uh, Massachusetts, and that was a gas. I loved it. And uh, believe it or not, yeah, we listen to some country music. I don't talk about it a lot, but uh, he's he's a delight. I absolutely love uh, Brad Paisley. He's just great. He is a. I feel like if you know Brad Paisley and you know me from overthinking it, you probably understand. Well, of course, you know the guy who has like you know a joke song about the Dukes of Hazard right next to his like devotional song based on his West Virginia roots about gospel. Yeah, that's a guy Pete probably likes. Right. So uh, so so there's that. And then um, I did see John Williams, tribute to John Williams by the Boston Pops in concert as well fairly recently. But the most recent concert music experience I went to, I actually went to with both of you, which was the Mid-City Bayou Boogaloo in New Orleans. Oh, yeah. uh, Yes. On Bayou St. John. Wait, wait. uh, Pete, didn't you see Weird Al this year also? That's right. I saw Weird Al Yankovic, the Vanity Tour. It wasn't a summer concert. You threw me off because you talked about summer concerts. Fair enough. But yeah, I saw Weird Al do his acoustic no parody uh, set, and that was at a at the I believe the Wang Theater in Bo- in Boston. It was at a theater venue rather than a big concert venue, which is something that is worth talking about. So, so, yeah. so funny enough, those the L.A. dates for Weird Al were the weekend of uh, when we were in New Orleans going to the Bayou Boogaloo together <laughs> and watching watching a like pretty great. Uh, musicians uh, in the daytime slots in an outdoor, not even like music event, event like food festival, like kind of neighborhood uh, festival, right? Like yeah, uh, with exactly. two with two big stages at either end of the at either end of the venue. Um, yeah, and we saw some some uh, pretty pretty fantastic stuff there. I'll just, I mean, I'll add mine. I. You know, I don't know. I I end up with more free time than a lot of my friends because a like you two, I have no children. Um, B uh, I have been single these last two years, so I I got nothing but but long nights <laughs> to uh, to do things with. So I end up seeing a lot of music. The last show I saw was uh, Watkins Family Hour at um at Largo which is a venue in in Los Angeles known for for um music uh associated with musicians John Bryan and Sean and Sarah Watkins and Chris Thiele those last three were were Nickel Creek um 
uh, Fiona Apple kind of shows up a lot of times. Ben Montrench, who was Tom Petty's keyboard player, uh, hangs out there a lot. And they have these kind of residencies, these like monthly residencies. And so I've become like familiar with and a fan of a couple of musicians. And so the last thing I saw was the Watkins Family Hour, which is sort of bluegrass and sort of pop, like country-ish pop or like roots, roots rock, roots, roots pop, something like that. Um, some great uh, guests at that show, including Blake Mills, the the musician and producer, and Taylor Goldsmith, the singer-songwriter from Dawes, a band I really like, uh, as well as Taylor's girlfriend, Mandy Moore. Um, the uh and but that so that's that's like a uh not not even a nightclub in that you can't buy drinks in in the venue you have to to buy drinks outside like that that is an incredible um that's a sort of special place to to see music because everyone is so focused like they they like ban you for life if you take your phone out they're real uptight about it and and the result is that everyone like 200 people in that small theater are like just so intent uh on the music and everyone who blows through um, on tour or something like that remarks on the the uh, audience and uh, at the complete other side of the spectrum I, I saw uh, uh, Haim on their their the sister 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 tour at the Greek theater outdoors this year and I saw Lord at Staples Center which is our you know um, it's where the Lakers play and uh, that that's like a, what a, a twenty thousand seat arena something like that um, and the Greek is is five thousand or something like that I I think so yeah a whole a whole uh, whole range of um, of musical experiences let let me ask and Pete I'll go to you first how do you find out about concerts because I, I think this is not an a, a it seems like it would be trivially easy but like how do you find out about shows that you want to go see i mean it's funny it's between me and my fiance my fiance is the one who likes to go to concerts uh-huh. it's not that i don't go to it's that i never grew up going to rock shows as a kid i went to see dave matthews band like once and i think that was the only big concert that i went to my entire uh childhood or adolescence and then i went when i saw bon jovi one time when i was in my 20s but it's always been someone else leading me there Somebody were you, who's were you at in. the kiss were you at the kiss and aerosmith show uh no, I, was, I was not at the kiss and aerosmith show but that sounded like a lot of fun was that and that was in connecticut right yeah that was yeah. in uh, hartford yeah exactly so but Belinky, overthinker Belinky, did take me to see Bon Jovi at Giant Stadium on my birthday one year, and that was absolutely a delight. But that's the pattern for me, is that I'm not cool enough to be checking out the concerts. Uh, for me, when I think about going to see live music, it'd be more likely to be a symphony or uh, some sort of theatrical thing or some sort of, you know, music is only part of it and it's a larger kind of multimedia theatrical performance than to actually go see a concert in concert. I mean, I guess a symphony would count, but um, but yeah. So for me, it's my cooler friends and people that I'm marrying who are cooler than me who bring me to concerts and get tickets for stuff. So that is uh, that's how I get looped in. I'm a hanger on. What do you do, uh, Mark? Um, so the, 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 to use my two main examples, Guns N' Roses and Billy Joel, um, they fall in two completely different categories. One is um, Guns N' Roses, you know, extremely hyped reunion tour and so that just kind of falls into my 
broader diet of news consumption uh, for pop culture, including Twitter and RSS feeds and a range of websites ranging from, you know, I think everyone from the New York Times to The Verge to Billboard to, um, oh, I don't know, In Touch was covering the Guns N' Roses reunion. Um, so that was in the news for quite some time before they released tickets. So it was kind of inescapable that, you know, the, like I was I was purely victim of the hype machine. Um, which led me to spend an ungodly sum of money on the Guns N' Roses tickets. Um, uh, Billy Joel, however, has been uh, in residence at the Garden for years, doing a show roughly once a month or so. Um, and so it's no surprise at all that he's going to be there. You can plan that well out in advance. In fact, my wife got me tickets for that for um, for Christmas. Um, and so that just kind of it almost like falls into the rhythm of life of sorts. You know, it's like uh, now is it is um, the time where we shall buy Billy Joel tickets for several months in advance. Um, and so those create very different senses of anticipation and discovery. Um, the Guns N' Roses one, I think, being a little bit more sort of the classic canonical. Oh, you guys like this is a big show coming up and we got to. Um, line to get all of our ducks in a row to get tickets for this. So uh, two very different ways for me. That's my that's my story. I subscribe to bands email lists now. You know, I guess uh, you know with with uh, the slightly more the slight advantage I have in free time, right? Like I'm I'm looking for things. I I have been for to. Uh, Fill time, and I actually, you know, we're all musicians. Like for for God's sake, we met in a marching band, right? Like so, uh, it stands to reason that we would like music. Well, I mean, I guess uh, we're all musicians. We met in a marching band. Those t- Te- <laughs> technically, <laughs> technically, I met you in a hockey pep band. So. <laughs> that <laughs> sure. Wait, did you not join? Wait, when did you join? All I joined right, in the winter. I oh in the winter. wow, I, I, I had no idea. Football. So yeah, you missed yeah. you missed freshman year. Uh, you missed your freshman year's football season. Got it. Yeah, exactly. The one uh, time that we won the game, I was not on the field. With yeah, you. but anyway, that's neither here nor there. Continue, continue. But that um, so, so but uh, my point was that guys, we're all musicians. We met in a marching band. I suppose the first uh, the, the first assertion does not actually follow logically from the second in that uh in <laughs> in that phrase, uh, especially in our case. Uh, but the the you know it stands to reason that we would like music and enjoy it, and you know it would be something something that we're into. And like I too hadn't been super um super going to concerts it was just not a habit i i was in and you know hanging out with friends in los angeles in in my sort of post uh uh post coupledom era um you know for however long it lasts it just turns out that like it's a really fun night out with friends you know to to um go see a concert and you know i don't know have have dinner or drinks around the the thing especially if you go to to smaller venues and so i started like just looking for opportunities to do this and I ended up with um you know, and and also like uh, the the influence of overthinker Ryan Sheely on me with the the uh, music podcast that we do is that like I see new bands and like the the I find that like the two ways that they market that they like get the word out about what they're doing are Instagram and email lists. 
And so I've signed up. I mean, I follow so damn many bands on Instagram, which is uh, a very low signal to noise because like, I want to know, I don't necessarily want all the lifestyle material from the band, but I want to know if they're blowing through town and uh, when the show is going to be. And then the other, the, the other thing is like the, the tends to be higher signal to noise on, um, the email lists they'll only they'll only email when they want something which is like to buy merch or buy buy tickets to uh buy tickets to things and so like i've i've ended up like in multiple you know uh axs like presale queues recently i mean the 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 biggest one was when i coordinated um i coordinated pretty much everyone i knew uh went through the uh some sort of verified fan program, and then everyone I knew uh, got uh, got online at the same time to buy tickets to Tori Amos's three nights in Los Angeles, um, and I ended up with twelve tickets to Tori Amos that I had to dispose of uh, <laughs> some somehow. Um, but you know, it was a it was a fantastic weekend, almost more like a pilgrimage for me than than uh, than anything else. So the the I mean the the ticket buying experience um is uh, you know the kind of next step in the process right like and pete sounds like sarah does a lot of that yeah it's interesting to hear you say that you're the person on all the lists is that an essential function in the way that these concerts are playing out now that there are these you know malcolm gladwell-esque mavens and connectors who they have there's certain people who know the concert is happening there's other people who connect other people to the fact that the concert is happening and get them the tickets and in that sense there's a lot of the work being done for the act by the fans uh, it's sort of an interesting dynamic to think about and i'm definitely not a maven or a connector i'm just a, a tag along uh, what's the third category in uh, the tipping point? Uh, I think it is. There's the tagalongs, the uh, the samos, samosas, samoas, and the uh, the mint milanos that are offered <laughs> to any member <laughs> of the Wu Tang Clan who wants to come on our show. I think it's persuaders, maybe uh, salesmen. Well, so. I, so there's two. I mean, like if you're organizing a large group of people to go to something, yeah, there generally is like one person who is providing a lot of the energy, the encouragement. There's like one uh, kind of project manager slash cheerleader for um, for those sorts of things, and then and that person usually charges it to their credit card, gets all the airline miles, and everyone uh, everyone pays them back. But the the there's another aspect to this, which I think Mark might want to go into a little bit, which is that like in order to know about presale, uh, well, so, I mean on sale, but they call it presale, but you're buying it, so it's a sale. It's not pre-sale, you know, but uh, uh, sort of quote-unquote exclusive opportunities to get tickets for for real fans, like there's this um, uh, arcane system sometimes of like getting codes and doing things. Did you, did you cope with this at all, Mark? I haven't, but I'm intensely interested in this new phenomenon. I mean, a lot of this has been around for a while, right? Sort of the, 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 the quote-unquote fan club pre-sale type right. of thing. I think at a very basic level, if you're on, it's an incentive to be on the email list, um, then you get early access to tickets um, later on, especially like Amex, right? You know, if you have an Amex card, uh, you get access to presale tickets. Um, but 
uh, sort of the, the broader narrative around tickets and particularly the Ticketmaster monopoly over the last decade or so is that um, bots, ticket buying bots, uh, grab all the tickets at um, the fairly reasonable price that they're they're usually put on sale for, and then they're resold for the most high, the highest demand concerts like Taylor Swift, Bruce Springsteen, Hamilton, so on and so forth, are, are resold at like a three or four x markup. Um, which means that the scalpers capture all the value and that the artists, the venues, other people um, on the supply chain don't collect, uh, on the value chain, don't collect the revenue for that. So as a remedy to this, um, Ticketmaster has recently introduced the Verified Fan Program, right? Um, now, you know, we're not an economics podcast. There's plenty of other places where you can read about the specifics of this and the market dynamics around this. But the interesting cultural phenomenon around this is that um, it uh, just intensifies the codification, the um, the stratification of fans into this elite tier of sorts um, in an attempt to uh, get the tickets only to those who, quote unquote, deserve it the most. Um, it, parallel with that is also just um, different things that are going on with pricing, right, where things are the price concert uh, ticket prices are sort of uh, increasing uh, so that uh, the, at face value. Right, that the the venues can capture the, or the 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 people more again on the value chain can connect the can capture the value, um, but the most insidious part of this, um, and we'll include a link in the in the show notes an article that describes how to get become a verified not just to become a verified fan but to get higher into the queue into the prioritization queue for tickets you have to do this engagement stuff right like interact with sponsor brands online buy albums like tweet and post on your tumblr about the artist and all these things earn you fan cred verified fan credits to get you higher up in the queue uh this all i i I, i'm neither like particularly for or against it but i am fascinated by this idea that there are these super fans and casual fans and some people quote unquote deserve the tickets more and it doesn't necessarily have to do with how much money you have to spend on a concert. Um, Pete or Matt, have either of you encountered the Verified Fan Program? And are you uh, among the super elite Verified Ultra fans? Ultra. I'm not an ultra. I'm not an ultra fan. I'm a, wait, what's what's uh, is it like gold and then platinum and then like palladium fans or something like that? N- no, I think I, I had to do something for the the Tori Amos presale. And I actually so that was there were actually two collective actions there. One, I had to get all my friends to get registered as uh, Tori Amos verified fans. And then. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. Have you heard the Have you heard the good news of our Lord and Savior, Tori Amos? <laughs> Uh, I think it's more melancholy news. It's more of a sort of like truthful and vulnerable, but not entirely happy sort of news. Yeah, but then 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 there were the years where there was trip hop news, and that's we just try to forget about those as (laughs) as much as possible. She's had like a thirty year career. It's it's. uh, it's amazing. Um, yeah, I don't know who deserves to be given more poop. It's is it is it me for Tori Amos or Pete for Brad Paisley? We'll we'll let the commenters decide. Uh, is is my my beloved early '90s female singer songwriters or uh, or you know commercial country in general? Um, I don't know. You know what? Here, comment challenge. Go to the show notes of this podcast and comment with your uh, your your most embarrassing uh, uh, musician that that you're a fan of. So yeah, I, I got verified and and I became a fan. I mean, I guess it's okay, right? Like, um, so 
I don't know. Let's let's think this through. StubHub and the other resale platforms, which uh, you know, frankly, I use regularly. Uh, I have a, a friend here in LA, a non-overthinker, who who said the very uh, who who said that. I'm, I'm not sure if it's an overthinker or a non-overthinky thing. He said, like, if you think you can just like stand in line, uh, be there at you know, be there at the the Tower Records when tickets go on sale and uh, get even halfway decent seats to any big show uh, at face value you're you're living in a in a fantasy world now it's all uh, all pre-sales vip packages and and resale markets right like these things exploit inefficiencies in the market which is that there are people who are willing to pay more these tickets have a higher value uh on the market than was being charged for them by the uh, f- the people who were selling them. I mean, the same thing happened with Hamilton, right? And the the pricing strategy for the uh, you know the Broadway show and the tours of Hamilton, um, which was that there are like premium seats at eight fifty, uh, eight hundred fifty dollars per seat or something like that, uh, was based on the idea that you have to that that uh, the show should be capturing that value rather than you know resellers who do, who do nothing but but. Uh, speculate i guess on on uh no. on tickets they they which i suppose is some kind of like economic uh uh risk that they take right like uh but that that it would be better for the show to be um it would be better for the the creators of the show to actually capture that value, and especially in the case of Hamilton, where they made deals to compensate the initial cast who did a lot of work to create the show and have tried to be you know marginally more ethical uh, than than normal uh, entertainment industry people about about it like i you know i'm i 'm okay with that i 'd rather it go to them and not to stubhub right but there's this this competing discourse between it being a market is driven by supply and demand delivery and, uh, you know, um, by economic uh, principles and sort of um, that, the interaction of buyers and sellers, and there being some kind of moral authority that true fans have, right? And the idea that, like, true fans should be in the front row or something like that seems to compete with this. I don't know, Pete, do you have any, uh, any insight here into how, how the, the moral and the economic discourses might interact? Yeah, I think so. So I think one trend to keep in mind that interacts with this is the shifting of the actual income of musicians, big musicians, musical acts, and even, I guess, to an extent, the promoters and associated business enterprises from albums to shows, which I think has something to do with this. Be, if, now that I'm mentioning, and this is as somebody I don't do any of these loyalty things. I, I got into the closed beta for Magic the Gathering Arena, but other than that, I'm not platinum anything. Um, but uh, it, it's, it's that it's interesting because I can see why you would want the shows to be affordable to your core audience of fans because you want those fans to buff up your brand so that you can sell other things. So I guess those fans are the younger ones, too, with perhaps less disposable income are uh, seen as more influential or just desirable for whatever reason. Right. And so there's this one dynamic where you on one hand, you want the younger fans who can't afford to have the bigger to pay for the tickets to be uh, evangelists for you, maybe even to sell the tickets to the people who can afford it by saying that they're cool, but also to sell all the other things that the people are doing, which now is fewer things. And and uh, and and I guess maybe maybe there's a certain desire to hold on to the album 
and the record and the sale of the record and the hopes that you can leverage this. But but the other thing that, that seems to me really interesting that interacts with both of these and sort of a huge hammer fist collision course, and I uh, apologize in advance for pulling something a little bit out of the lot of the field, but how crazy is it that the supply of these tickets to these shows is dictated by the infrastructure plan development plans of theater companies a hundred years ago and sports teams, right? Like, like was there ever a stadium built to fit a Taylor Swift show? <laughs> you know, like, like, <laughs> <laughs> right. Like, isn't it straight? Like, wouldn't you think if, cause, cause this is the big reason I don't go to these big concerts very often well, at all. Wait, no, nowadays is, they, abs- they absolutely are nowadays. Right. The, the idea that like, maybe not in the sighting of the, the, like the location sighting of the famous stadiums, but like we, we just built a, a soccer stadium in LA where the new MLS franchise uh, plays. And I went there. It's, it's brand new. It's a beautiful stadium. And they're mm-hmm. undoubtedly, part of the the plan for this like part of the way they they are gonna finance it like is to um it, there's obviously a plan to hold uh to hold concerts in it during the off season right like so so it's a oh, huge yeah. you know so like and i'll bet there are like back of house amenities of some kind that uh you know that that would support this rather than just be rather than just the back of house amenities that support uh two uh competing soccer teams true true though i think what i think if you really want to clear the market you have to look at the festivals Probably. Right. So how does this interact with the big festivals? You know, the Coachella's here. We have Boston Calling in Boston, where you're able to expand the amount of people who are there beyond and and who engage with it beyond what you would be able to fit inside of the garden, potentially. Although maybe that's not true. I have to look up the numbers because Boston has no space for anything. Uh, But it's just it's interesting so that we have uh, there's the collision of. The you want to engage the fans and the brand evangelists, because as we've talked about it, if people like Matt don't care about these things, people like me never find out about them and and never get involved. And people like Mark are kind of in between. And, and but then you also you want to sell at a price that clears the market. And then that's going to be dictated something by somewhat by your supply as well as by your demand. And the supply is not oriented toward well maybe it's just highly variable that's really what you're talking about people like StubHub. you're talking about people who are making up the risk but also making up the sort of supply gap and the volatility and the people who are coming to see your show right like like which of the shows are good which of the shows are bad how big is the venue versus the number of people who want to go you're kind of selling that to to scalpers you're saying you do the work you'll get the profits for it that's what you're doing and these attempts to blockade that by us thinking that that not, not by thinking it's something other than it is, but it, but to treat the concert as a branded experience for the artist, which I guess it definitely is, rather than a good that is sold on the market. Uh, it's just, it's an interesting. There's a real there's a real tension there. I find that tension really unpleasant. That's one of the big reasons why I don't really buy concert tickets or don't. I just give up. It's like, well, why? That one time I tried to go get WrestleMania tickets by going there at three in the morning, and like everybody had already been given a wristband and sent home. And it's like, well, then I called the next morning, and like we didn't get any. And it's like, well, like what am I supposed to do in my life to be able to give them my money to see this thing? And like there are lots of things I can see whenever I want. So like, what's the point? 
but I'm not a maven. I guess yeah, but you didn't. Okay, I'm so, not a super fan. I'm not a platinum uh, fan. But I that, guess that's the importance of it. Okay, but the, there, like, there, there probably was another option to, for you, which was to go to a reseller and pay what four times face to get, well, yeah, to get to get your seat. Oh wait, 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 wait. You say, oh yeah, in order to dismiss that. But like, if this is actually a good and it's worth a certain amount to you, if it's worth, like, to me, you know, what's a WrestleMania ticket? Four hundred. I I will pay four hundred dollars to not have to get up at three in the morning, right? Like you actually, you all can extort me right now if you want, because if you come to my house with an air horn, if you threaten to come to my house with an air horn, call 20 eat log (laughs) zero one. Right. Uh, and like, I will pay you $400 to make you go away. And, and, uh, that's in the Bible. actually. Like if God doesn't answer your prayers because you ask nicely, he'll answer them because you show up at his house at four in the morning with an air horn. I believe that's actually in the bible right and in this analogy i'm god for for ungodly uh for ungodly reasons right like and yeah it's sort of hard to go to it's hard to go to shows that a lot of people want to go to you know i don't know in general the internet is kind of your friend in that like you can get instructions like the the places that do it over and over and over have gotten pretty good at like uh you know telling you how how telling you how to be an excellent sheep in in terms of your you know following following the pie piper of mixed metaphors but the um the whole uh you know the whole the whole experience can be sort of confounding and and by being confounding can be alienating i guess that's what you're saying pete right like that you that you don't you the 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 experience this stage this gate and like we're we're halfway through the halfway through the show we haven't even gotten to the concert yet right like this gate is a difficult gate to pass through I guess what what I'm saying is that if you put me in charge of how to market one of these things, but you didn't get put me in charge of the Billy Joel side or the Brad Paisley side or the Tori Amos side or the scalper side, right? The sort of fan engagement side versus the inventory management side. And you instead made a sort of Port Authority hybrid organization (laughs) that was in charge of like managing the overall concert experience, which maybe exists. I would say that there's a lot of friction in the conflicting goals of these organizations. And that in this day and age, there is a lot of premium by marketers put on easy, low friction engagement. And an easy purchase and also sort of pleasant customer experience, especially when you want to charge a lot of money for something. And so that there's a problem here in that you at least want to create the illusion that the different parties that are trying to sell you this thing all like it or like are all on the same page about it, uh, that, that there's a bad experience that comes from one person, one party in the in the it's like if you if you buy, you know what, a uh, like if you buy a, a KitchenAid. And then you buy a bunch of bread mix to make some bread and you're making some soda bread in your KitchenAid. There's not like an apology on the bag of bread mix apologizing for how bad the KitchenAid people are. And there's no like note on the KitchenAid saying like, <laughs> if, if look, we want you to buy bread, but please don't buy from these jerks. Right? Yeah, like, I mean, like, it's, it's really funny when I was, uh, when I was a teenager, I actually almost was at the show, but I, I was, uh, I was a very good boy and my mommy wouldn't let me. I almost went to the Pearl Jam show at the, like the Indio, um, God, what is it? Like 
cricket grounds or whatever the heck it is, uh, where Pearl Jam tried to do an entirely non-Ticketmaster tour um, because the be- the mission of that band was to get like stratospherically famous and then slowly destroy that fame little by little uh, yep. in, in the ensuing decades, right? And so they did this non-Ticketmaster tour and like they played this uh, polo field or whatever the heck it was that uh, now is Coachella. Now that's what, now that's the venue where they do Coachella. So it's like, I don't know what, like if you, if you are a, a sort of fan who, uh, not a fan, sorry, if you are an act who wants to like blaze a trail and you have even the remotest success, like the genius of late capitalism is that it can uh, integrate, it can kind of uh, appropriate and integrate uh, even the anti-capitalist gestures by the, the most fervent anti-capitalist. So uh, please remember to like and reblog. Um, but, <laughs> but like, Pete, there's one... Look, I, art is a hustle, man. you got to make that. How many songs are there about making money? They're all about making money. I, can, I, I actually can think of one company that's done it like uh, as perfectly as it can be done and is constantly making like micro improvements to their um to their process uh and that's disney right uh, T- yeah. tickets to the disney theme parks specifically right like cuz that's a scarce resource uh priced at about the price point of uh you know big arena concert or a big act concert ticket right like uh you know 100 to a buck 50 depending on um, several factors and uh, and there are a huge number of people who want to go right to the to the point where the crowds can be the most unpleasant the most unpleasant part of the experience and they've they've like solved this problem by extraordinarily tight vertical integration of every and like like extreme control over every aspect of the experience which doesn't seem like it's in the cards for the concert industry Right. Well, so the tickets, be, the, the tickets yeah. are never on sale, right? There are you cannot get them. I don't believe through a third party reseller. Um, it's just like you go to Disney and you buy them, and it's not an enormous hassle. And it's yes, it is very expensive, but it it also doesn't have this sense of like, oh my god, I'm playing five paying five hundred dollars for a ticket to a Taylor Swift concert, and that feels wrong for some reason. Mm. Yeah, like there's no that's, illusion, that's, right? yeah. Yeah, and part of the, the interesting thing about ticket economics, right, is that say Springsteen, for example, like he could, in theory, I suppose, list all of his tickets for five hundred dollars and sell out the entire tour at five hundred dollars a pop. But that would conflict against his image, right? The sort of the moral aspect we've been talking about um, of uh, having appealed to the working man, to the uh, to the to the regular Joe. Um, Bruce Springsteen isn't supposed to be a luxury product. Um, he's supposed to be like a pair of blue jeans that everybody wears. I, I think, ironically, right, the, the pair of blue jeans that he wears on the cover of Born in the USA were very expensive designer jeans. <laughs> Not anything quite, quite common. Um, so, yeah. Uh, Why? Like, what does what does com- get- what does common wear on his albums? <laughs> Um, so let's go to the concert. I mean, I feel yes, like we've let, been, let us, you know, let's, now, uh, well, buying tickets is a huge hassle. No wonder it took us a long time. But yes, now we got our tickets. And we get to go. Right, and the rest, yeah, the rest of the show is going to be uh, is going to be surprisingly short. <laughs> um, okay, uh, so uh, so Mark, how did you get to uh, how did you get to Guns and Roses? 
I think I, I must have took, took public transportation. Um, and getting there is not the problem. Getting back. Well, check your privilege, New Yorker. Okay, here in Los Angeles, there is no public transportation. How am I supposed to get to a show? Is what I'm saying. Take an Uber. That's what you guys do now, right? Actually, well, yeah, yeah, yes, it is. More about that later. But I didn't mean to stomp on your stomp on your story. So you you took what a train to a train to a shuttle bus or something like that. No, I think uh, for Giant Stadium, or sorry, not Giant Stadium, MetLife Stadium, um, the rail service will take you directly to um, the venue without having yeah. to connect to anything else, um, which sounds nice. But again, like the problem is that um, in the evening running trains, they do not run enough trains uh, to get everyone back in a sane and reasonable manner. And um, sometimes you have extreme crowding conditions, which are extremely unpleasant. Hmm. Uh, how, how about you and Brad Paisley, Pete? Well, to, for Brad Paisley, I drove my Subaru next to a whole bunch of trucks through a muddy, grass-covered parking lot in order to in order to get in. The Xfinity Center is mostly outside, so it's an outdoor it's an outdoor concert venue, and so it, it's got outdoor grassy parking lots, and it's outside of Boston, about you know half an hour outside. Um, and so there's a little bit more that, that I've done that, and I've also done the whole you know I've seen you two in the Boston in the TD Bank North Garden or whatever it's called in Boston, where you know you just take the subway and you just go there, and there's a little bit of a bump in traffic, but not like for a Red Sox game or something like that. <laughs> so um, yeah, yeah. So so I I have to drive to a lot of stuff stuff recently. It's funny when we were talking about concerts uh, on the the uh, Overthinking It Writer Slack channel, um, our our social media manager Amanda talked about the Paul Simon show that we had been to, oh, that she had been to um and that i not we i because i did not go to the la dates of uh of this show which is supposed to be paul simon's last tour and you know i don't know i'll uh, I, i'll believe it's anybody's last tour when i read their obituary i guess but the the um i think i think david bowie's last tour is next year right <laughs> <laughs> oh too soon for you. too soon oh. uh the um so the thing I I mean so like I didn't go to that show because it was at the Hollywood Bowl and the Hollywood Bowl is a just a pain in the ass to get to because it's in uh it it's sort of an urban music venue right and they do like they do uh kind of symphony pops concerts over the summer there's a kind of regular season and then there are like uh, other like kind of rental rental events where you know people presenters put things on uh at the Hollywood Bowl and like just just getting there you you get within like three quarter miles of it and then it takes 90 minutes to travel the final three quarter miles into the uh into the parking lot or things like this it's and and that whole section of hollywood which is no picnic anyway traffic wise um uh, is you know uh, just becomes completely completely impassable for the the time immediately before and immediately after the immediately after the concert and like I really would have liked to see that show and uh, I had a bunch of friends there and apparently it was great um, but I did not uh, I did not get to I mean that's one that I would that I would probably have have stubhubbed and and uh, you know I don't know sold an organ or something like that in order to get I mean not my organ but like an organ. Um, <laughs> So to uh, get uh, uh, to get seats at um, you know, but then then I mean I don't know the the there's this thing that happens right when everyone has bought these super expensive tickets online right there's a there's a kind of perception or expectation about a level of service that 
should go along with that. So uh, I like I have been like very I'm a hardcore stand during concerts pe- person, and like I have been sort of shushed or like pushed, you know, shamed mercilessly. Stand shamed. I've been sta- yeah, I've been stand shamed. You know. No! Yeah. Down in front. Down in front. yeah, exactly. I can't see the edge. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, I pay for the whole seat and I can't see the edge. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know. Do you, uh, uh, Mark, uh, please tell me you're, you're on Team Stand. I'm afraid not, Matt. Oh. I'm on Team Sit. Oh. Okay, so, so much of what we're talking about here is like our platonic ideal of the concert experience versus the hard truths and realities of it, right? Um, I think uh, it's fair to say that the platonic ideal of the concert experience that you are so into the music um, and full of the energy that you stand um, and you kind of put your whole body into it. And I've been to plenty of those shows, and not coincidentally, when I was younger as well. And frankly, my body was better equipped to stand for two hours. Um, but also went to the sort of a more high energy show. Um, and the other thing as well is that, you know, when you watch a live concert video, the, the crowd that you see are the, the people who are in the front who are the ones who are standing for the whole thing. And they're in this frenzy. And especially for the more aggressive music that I used to listen to when I was younger, they're moshing, they're, they are thrashing. Um, their bodies are just uh, in Wait, is in this motion. the Billy Joel concert? <laughs> no, I'm actually referring to the Vans Warped Tour. If any, <laughs> uh, that really dates me. Right, late 90s punk rock, uh, the kind of thing where high schoolers uh, to act out their, their hormonal aggression against each other um, in, in odd supplementary ways. Oh. Mark, Mark, the Vans Warped Tour still happens. It's starting, like, it might even be going on while they are then, listening to the what, yeah, what, what am I doing here? Why am I not in a mosh pit? <laughs> Listening Maybe to, that's why that's where we are while there's this pre taped podcast is at the Vans Warp Tour. <laughs> <laughs> Be right back. Okay. Um, so for the Guns N' Roses concert in particular, that might be something where like you know, where you might be more surprised to see uh, people sitting uh, rather than just like, you know, completely losing themselves and rocking out over the very aggressive music of Guns N' Roses. However, not every Guns N' Roses song is, uh, how should I say, good enough for you to lose your mind over. In particular, the Chinese democracy stuff that Axel insisted <laughs> on playing. Um, so there you have a, a more, perhaps a more interesting sit versus stand tension compared to the Billy Joel concert, where not uh, by design, they're not all bangers. Um, there's a lot of ballads. And so when he's singing, she's always a woman to me, you're not like, you know, yeah! uh, hopping up and down. Yeah, I know, right? Um, however, there was absolutely, just precisely to Matt's point, there in the sort of the in-between songs, um, even Piano Man, oddly enough, right? You think that people at a Billy Joel concert would be just completely losing their mind when Piano Man comes on. But no, in the uh, in sort of the, 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 the mezzanine or the rafter balcony tier that I was sitting in in Madison Square Garden, uh, it was like 75% easily, maybe even 80% sitting versus 20% standing. Um, and there was definitely like annoyed people uh, sitting uh, around me, uh, frustrated that someone like, you know, uh, a few rows up was was standing and swaying as one does. You have to sway the piano man. I mean, there are, um, de- there, are demogra- there are demographic aspects to this as well, right? That I, well, yeah, th- Guns yeah. N' Roses and Billy Joel both attracting like a easily like median age 40 and above. Right. And, and also they sort of started when you have the artist with a long career as, you know, um, Billy Joel has definitely had in Guns N' Roses in, in a slightly different way has had, right? Like the, 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 
the musicians themselves are like they started in this kind of youthful fu sort of rock and roll mode and now are are sort of now it's almost sort of a museum piece and like that that i, w- I want to kind of talk about that museum piece aspect of of going to see really big acts really famous people um but like the uh but I just I just want to point out that it's not just hormonal teenagers moshing. I I went to uh, I went to the reunion shows that Jawbreaker did in um, the the you know uh, seminal West Coast punk band San Francisco based punk band Jawbreaker uh, did in uh, in Los Angeles. They played a couple. They played like I think uh, New York, L.A., and San Francisco were the the three places they did it. And like so, you know, there I am standing in in a but in like. Uh, uh, in amongst, in a sea of portly dads, in a venue that's like an entirely standing venue, the Hollywood Palladium, where it's, you know, a few thousand and like... Um that and like the first chord of boxcar starts right you're not punk and i'm telling everyone and like boom i get hit from the side by like a by a beer by gut. Portly dad. yeah by a portly dad right <laughs> and like it's i you know i hadn't intended i actually stood about 30 percent way back from the stage i got there really early and and uh uh, saw Waxahachie, which was a really weird, uh, really weird thing. But the the local support act and then Waxahachie, which was a maybe not the greatest fit for Jawbreaker, but but uh, you know I, I stood back from the stage in order not to be in whatever nonsense and shenanigans were going to go down. Like the pit would obviously be uh, right at the foot of the stage. No, sir, it was right in the middle of the whole thing, and I I got buffeted about like a piece of, of flotsam on a on a rip current uh for a little while before i i kind of got sick of it and managed to relocate uh but yeah that that was uh even the portly dads uh need to like that work out their their uh sociopathic aggression from time to time um i guess um so what what Pete, I I, I want to throw a question at you out of left field. Does your life have okay. a purpose? No, uh, it's um, <laughs> it's this. What is an artist promising to fans at a live show? Right? Yes, that they're going to play. That there will be music and it will be played live on stage. But like, do you feel like there is a contract? vis-a-vis what songs are going to be played or what what the experience is going to be like do you feel like like there's a um there are implicit promises in this exchange when when an artist puts on a a show especially a big show for fans i would say there's a an ongoing negotiation that's taking place interesting a lot of it is extra verbal when i saw weird al in Boston, and I saw his vanity tour. And um, as, by way of illustrative example, he did two shows back to back, and so and each one was you know two hours, two hours, some odd hours, maybe a little bit longer than that. And so everybody who was there for the first show knew because he told them presumably that he would be playing completely different songs in the second show than he was going to play in the first show. So if there was a particular song that you really wanted to hear, you should have bought tickets to both shows. And there was actually a considerable crowd there, enough to make a, a cheering, enough to make a raise a cheer that did not sound like it was coming from a small group of individuals, but from, in fact, a group, right? Like, in order to sort of pass the... Uh, the paradox of the heap and become like a heap, right? Um, rather than like a bunch of things uh, that they, they bought tickets to both shows so that they could make sure to hear every song that they liked. 
I feel like this was extreme and part of what Weird Al was doing with this this tour was a joke <laughs> in that, you know, the song that he was playing that everyone wanted to hear was like Albuquerque, like a 10 minute long rendition of Albuquerque, uh, you know, or like the, the biggest ball of twine in Minnesota and all this other sorts of stuff. None of his really huge hits. But I feel like from what I know about bootleg culture Set lists are a big deal, right? What set list did they do at that particular show? Oh, and they performed in that show in that year. They played that set list, and I have it written down, and it's a piece of lore. And that people will care about what set lists are good and what set lists are bad and what they hear and what they don't. And that's an ongoing negotiation. But in order for it to be a negotiation, there has to be some sort of baseline vocabulary of expectation that informs the conversation about the set list. And that's going to vary. That's going to be part of the artistic project of the band is to produce a meta narrative about what sort of music it's going to play. And I think that's its clothes. That's it's, you know, it's, it's staging that there's so much that goes into a tour that is informed by and informs the expectation of what music you're going to hear when you see it. So like when I went to go see U2, I would I absolutely expected them to play a, a smattering of their most popular songs from the time that I think of as their heyday. You know, for me it's like the what the late 80s early 90s, for other people it would be earlier in the 80s, I guess. For other people it would be, you know, they really loved the Lara Croft, Tomb Raider, Cradle of Life, Angelina Jolie movie or something. I don't know. But like uh, some people, it's the more recent stuff. But like there there was nothing about the way the show was presented to me to lead me to believe anything other than I was going to hear a relatively small proportion of the show be the music that I wanted to see. And that anybody who liked any particular era of U2 was likely to hear the thing that they wanted to hear. But um, depending upon who it is, it's not going to be the same. You know, if imagine going to go see what, like Yellow Card, they don't play Ocean Avenue. I mean, come on. There's a, but, uh, <laughs> there, well, there's this phenomenon now of bands touring albums, right? Where they'll, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, where the whole thing, uh, the the whole point of the tour. And I think you two has actually done this uh, with Joshua Tree, at least with, uh, as far as I know, um, that like they'll tour just and they'll just play the album in order. And that will be the bulk of the that will be the bulk of the show. Yeah, and that's definitely a thing. And uh, you could see bands play with this. The expectation of what, I mean, that's what Weird Al did. He said, it's the it's the ill-advised vanity tour. I'm not going to play any of the songs you want me to play. <laughs> right? Like, that's just the number one rule. But he tells you that. So what do you, what do you think? What about the uh, a great sort of met moment in this meta-narrative, and even though it's an accident, was the news that we got some time ago at this point that Lindsey Buckingham was being dropped from the Fleetwood Mac reunion tour. right. <laughs> right. So what songs do they play? Do they have someone else sing the chain with Stevie Nicks? Right. Because isn't 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 the fact that it's the two of them on stage together a big part of what would make you want to see that song live? Do they then not do it? Do they do it with somebody else? Do they do they have to change the staging of it entirely and do some sort of new version? I mean, I uh, feel like the I feel like the with Fleetwood Mac, the like extraordinarily uh, psychologically devastating sort of trolling, internal trolling uh, that 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 band. <laughs> does to each other means that you do you know you get all of the Lindsey Buckingham songs you play like never going back you know you have, yeah, you have someone else play it and sing it like some stellar guitar player uh I remember reading that I forget who they got to replace uh Lindsey Buckingham on that tour it was like two different guys I think because they couldn't do it with one person. <laughs> but like, on the other hand, if I went to go see Charlie XCX and she didn't play Boom Clap, 
I feel like there had been a rule that's been broken. Unless she like explicitly let me know that she's not going to play Boom Clap yeah. from The Fault in Our so, Stars, which is my jam. So a story uh, on this, and it ties back to, uh, I think it was Matt who mentioned like a sort of contractual nature between a contractual agreement between the audience and uh, the performer about what songs are going to be played. Uh, when my wife saw this Gin Blossoms uh, some years ago, well after their heyday, the singer basically lifted the veil and said, yes, I'm contractually obligated to play um, uh, uh, Hey Jealousy, so don't worry. <laughs> You're going to hear it or else I'm not going to get paid. <laughs> that's, the, that's, that's the norm, and it, it goes to what Pete is, is, has said about the kind of the different actors and their interests not being aligned, right? Like the, yeah. uh, so, the t- so like, as, and someone will actually, me, if you have more detail about this business, someone who actually works in, in like arena concert touring, but the, the artists and the artist management more or less package the show and offer it for sale, right? And then the promoters at each separate venue, and I guess there are, like, syndicates now, but, like, pay for it. So you buy, if you own, you know, such and such a stadium in Idaho or whatever, you pay the, ah, you pay Brad Paisley or the management company, whatever LLC has been formed to, like, organize this this effort. Um, you pay to get that show in your town. Uh, and you, so one, so th- this is where the, like, the star writer and the, you know, the whole no brown m&m's things come comes from right this so they're beaten to death with their own shoes (laughs) (laughs) they uh the um so both people kind of negotiate that and and uh have you know have the opportunity to uh make demands of the other side and the you know the artists uh, have to do with with things like the conditions that you know they're going to find when they get there and the kind of equipment that they'll have and the you know certain amounts of time and certain affordances of of like equipment and, and backstage amenities and, th- and things like this. Um, food often is a big one. Uh, and you can go, all those, all those writers, there's a website that has a lot of like concert tour writers on it. Uh, on the, um, the promoter side, they have, they're the ones actually selling the tickets to fans. And so they're the ones who are going to get angry fans demanding refunds or, you know, uh, who are going to, to sort of field the complaints. So they have an interest in uh, getting a show um, that will prevent those negative outcomes. Not necessarily a show that will satisfy the fans, right? But a show that will, will cover their ass a little bit. And that's like, so that's why playing the big singles or the hits or whatever is uh, largely contractually obligated of, of new bands that have a, uh, that have big hits. And, and not only that, usually playing them in the way that they, that they, substantially similar to the way that they sound on the album. So my first Tori show in 1996 was a solo piano show. It was glorious, except when backing tracks came on and she played Cornflake Girl and God off of Under the Pink because like, she was contractually obligated to. I don't know. It's, it, I feel like the business aspects are, uh, are a kind of bigger deal of this than, than people realize, but they're not really narrativized into the, into the experience, and so people don't like going into them sometimes. I'd, you know, I'm just trying to give the people what they want, Pete, and, uh, and mm. prevent, prevent requests for refunds. You've been a grieving great audience. Great listeners. It's really, it's really wonderful. Good, good, good night overthinking it. Oh my gosh, guys, that was a great show. Fantastic. Yeah. Bloody right. brilliant. Uh, I mean, our, hey, our, hey. our best yet. Guys, guys, I can hear them. I can hear through their Apple earbuds, through the little microphone that their iPhones don't turn off. They're all clapping. 
They're <gasps> all cheering Are outside. They? Oh, wow. Do, 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 do you think we should go out there and, and, and do some more? It would be highly I, I unorthodox. Don't know. It would be very I, I irregular I, if we were. I thought we were done. I thought we were done. All right, let's do it, guys. Let's go back out on okay. stage. All right, here we go. All right. Oh, yeah. hey, oh, overthinking man. it. We're back. Yeah. I did not expect to be here. Not at all. Not even a little bit. It's so unusual for us to end the show and then come back and do more of the show. What is the function of an encore in an environment where an encore is more or less obligatory? Like what, what does it add to, to the experience? It, it must be there. It's a, it's a, uh, it's a pain, right? Like, uh, is it just to get a drink of water or something at that point? Or, or does it actually add something to the, uh, uh, to the experience? It feels like the, so an encore, I'm going to throw a couple of ideas out here. You let me know what sticks in an encore. The framing device is that these are the songs that we are playing because you demanded that we come back out on stage against our will. So the first thing I'm positing here is that subliminal to many encores, and especially encores done well, is the even if it's entirely fraudulent, the notion that if you did not clap, we would not have come back out. Right, and that this is being performed. And so I think some of the best encores I've seen are when a band doesn't play its biggest hits. It's it's super popular songs that everybody loves or its best songs and saves them for the encore, because in that sense, you have the added idea that the audience is literally cheering for it and that that the engagement of playing it for you, that sort of satisfaction of your need gets performed out in a sort of ritualistic and meaningful way. So like, I think one aspect of the encore is it creates this conversation between the audience and the band of like, we want this. And the band being like, we will give you this. And then that can provide moments of context for certain sorts of music, whether it's expected music or unexpected music, I guess, varies. I don't know. What do you think, Mark? I think that's 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 by and large right. Like the, this again, this notion of the dialogue between the audience and the performer is a really important one. It's it's, it's essential to this whole notion of the um, of the concert experience to begin with. Um, I, there's a there's a power dynamic as well, too, um, where the, the artists know that um that they can sort of elicit that reaction, you know, they will disappear and, and like, I know we can make them disappear and I know that they will scream our heads off for us. You know, we, we, we can exert that power over the audience. Um, the, this notion of ritual is really important, right? There's all just all these expectations. Everybody knows this is how it's going to play out. I guess there's that, that, that little bit of uncertainty and um, uh, unpredictability of a live experience. Cause sometimes there is not, an encore. And I mean, it's disappointing is what it is. So there's like this like very sliver of like, are they going to come out? Or are they going to not? It's there, right? It's not entirely all formulaic and, and pre-planned. Um, I will uh, mention as by way of an example, the aforementioned uh, Kiss Aerosmith double billing in which um, I think it's because of time constraints or something like that. Aerosmith, they went first, but they did not do an encore. Uh, Aerosmith, right? At one point, the largest, uh, the biggest, most popular band in all of North America uh, you know, did their regular set. They opened for Kiss. Did not do an encore. We, we Could must not have do talked. An encore. No, no, they they were the second. They closed that night. Oh yes, you're yeah, right. yeah. Right. And I, so I they, think it's because they ran out of time. They couldn't do an encore. Yeah, there was some sort of noise ordinance. They had to shut down at 10 p.m. or something <laughs> like that. No, ser- no, did seriously. Kiss Aerosmith concert in a place with a noise ordinance. Exactly. <laughs> and what so are, they, what are they doing if not breaking noise ordinances? That's like their modus operandi. Sorry, go ahead. But they they um. 
like they they were playing uh what's it called don't want to miss a thing and they like sped it up to to like almost uh uh speed metal kind of things like i don't want to close my eyes i don't want to fall asleep because i miss you baby i don't want to miss a thing and the um the uh because it's i remember it's getting closer (laughs) you can't get to delay it and like lollygag you gotta get that out there we gotta leave bruce willis on that asteroid so the and and then as steven tyler was uh, was walking off uh, his thing. His final word to the audience was like, eh, "Not bad for a first night." <laughs> Apparently, this was the <laughs> the first night of their tour. Um, he's uh, yeah. So that that was a that was a, a unique a unique case. I don't think I don't know about that. I mean, it's does it? I don't know. It's so damn obligatory, right? Like and and. I don't know. I'm I'm into Pete your for, formulation of it as like uh, you want this, so we will give you this. But I feel like that this is different in yeah. each case. So it's like you want this, so we will give you this, right? And that that like that 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 maybe in that sort of confounding of expectations, because like I feel like the the encore songs. There are two two modes. One is like the encore songs are the singles that you wanted to hear all along, right? Um, so that like a totally Charlie XCX does her whole show with her like intimate singer songwriter stuff, uh, (laughs) (laughs) with her, her Tori Amos, like, uh, Tori Amos, by the way, uh, have I told you guys about how I got tickets for the, the Tori Amos show? It's a great story. Let me launch into it now. Um, (laughs) the, uh, the, um, and then like came back and played boom, boom clap in the sound, the place goes wild and the whole thing the whole thing uh makes makes total sense the other way is to get encore songs that are like deep album cuts you know that are like the true fan uh the sort of true fan experience and if you like the encore songs that's the uh that's the actual verified fan experience where you get some little obscure things and and at the mountain goat shows uh that i've saw both of them have gone to a second encore and john darniel has said from the stage um I don't, you know, uh, I, and I don't know how much of this is is true. You you never know because these things are so performative. But how and and you can't even really define true satisfactorily in under these conditions. But uh, he said, you know, you, you usually at a rock show do an encore. It's kind of part of the dance that that we all do. But like we don't normally do a second encore unless the crowd really asks for it. And so you try to give people something special at the second encore. And he was referring to do doing like obscure songs because that's a band that really kind of thrived in bootleg culture back when back in the you know the the pre-internet days um you know i don't know that the what would that mean for us on the overthinking it podcast i mean because nor- normally in the after show things like when we're trying to land an and uh an after show bit um we, you know we we go to harvey firestein or something like that like <laughs> you know that 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 that's how uh uh and i feel like that that is that's the deep album cut mode, right? Because uh, you have to know a little bit about the history in order to in order to think that that's funny. What would the what would the banger be for us? Like if we were going to play our our uh, uh, if we were going to play our hits, well, uh, the, the, Greek, the, the Greek chorus of uh, Steel Girders. 
it's another thing it's probably like yeah it's it's funny we are we are we are are almost like two media properties like a a commercially successful one on youtube and a uh and an obscure one in in nearly every other medium so we probably do like the 40 inspirational speeches video or something like that if they wanted us to play our most popular thing ever or just start reading out verdicts of law and order episodes (laughs) (laughs) do darth vader as a 9-11 that was it yeah that was a huge huge viral hit as well back when such things existed exactly now exactly. we have to now we have to buy our viral hits <laughs> i think we have, to, like, we have to pay a promoter to put our stuff out there <laughs> so, so here's another formulation if if the if a rock show is a story because one of the things i tend to see most of my music in the context of theater uh, just uh, for a variety of reasons but um see music right as opposed to hear it is the encore is the moment of the end of the show and the beginning of the encore as a sort of compulsory perfunctory down note and rising is it similar to the sort of all is lost moment near the end of a by the book screenplay where you have to believe that everything is terrible and the hero is going to die and then the heroes kind of comes roaring back and then that is unfailingly, of course, deeply satisfying. Are we dealing with a kind of either monomyth or Sid Feld or Dan Harmon's story circle kind of thing where the encore is part of a death and resurrection narrative or a cycle <laughs> that uh, that the show has as its sort of meta narrative? Because rock shows do have narratives in hip hop shows and such. Sometimes they have like overt narratives and framing devices and and video you too certainly did this like stories of crimes that had been committed and needed to be atoned for and and human suffering and a through line, right? But a lot of rock shows, you know, the through line is more implied, but the it seems like the end and the beginning in an encore is a really choreographed narrative moment that mm. might have some sort of I, I like this it's it reminds me of christianity right you know like uh it, it, jesus died he yeah. resurrected he came back with the promise that he'll come back again it's like yeah. the band will essentially you know we'll, we'll come back for another show for right, another right, album right. yeah yeah yeah, the idea if they just leave. And, and Aerosmith is like, ah, whatever. And the show's over. <laughs> like, Maybe Aerosmith will play again. <laughs> but if Aerosmith comes back, it's like, thank you, we love you, Central Connecticut. <laughs> like, And then they're like, hush, there's a noise ordinance. And they're like, we don't care, this is rock and roll. And then the cops come and they all get arrested. Uh, maybe that's a different sort of meta narrative. I don't know. Mm-hmm. But yeah. Well, uh, it does. It does uh, give you a chance to, um, if you uh, maybe didn't uh, stick the landing on one song that you did earlier, you can stick the landing on it the second time. I don't know. Do bands ever play the same song twice? I, Paul Simon, I know, has done that. Whereas, like, it gets to the end of Call Me Allen, it's like, let's do that again. That was fun, <laughs> um, you know. So uh, I, I uh, a, little, a literal encore then, <laughs> like encore meeting again. In yeah, front yeah, fair enough. And that uh, that uh, I I uh, didn't get the ending right last time, so now I can and and say uh, thank you for listening to the encore where uh, we have played for you because you demanded it you may have wanted this but we gave you this so uh visit and listen to us next week and until then visit us on the web where we subject the popular culture nailed it to a level of scrutiny it It probably probably doesn't doesn't deserve. deserve